Hey, good people. This is your N.I. Dom back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, going to do a little reading, okay? When relationships are deemed to be unfair or inequitable, the result almost inevitably will be conflict. Conflict also can occur when a partner behaves badly and everyone behaves badly at one time or another. The mere passage of time also makes conflict more likely. Couples are usually more affectionate and happier as newlyweds than they are two years later. What happens then when conflicts arise? How do people in a relationship respond to conflicts? I'm going to read a little more. Satisfied couples bias their impressions of their partner in ways that cause idealization of the partner and increases satisfaction in the relationship. Researchers have discovered that when satisfied couples confront a threat in the marriage due to something the partner has done, individuals devise stories that work to diminish that threat. They construct a story to explain the event in a way that takes the blame away from their partner. I'm going to skip some sentences in that paragraph. I'm going to move to another paragraph. Sometimes, instead of um, escalating a conflict, couples will find ways to accommodate each other, even when one or both have acted in negative or destructive manner. Typically, our initial impulse in response to a negative act um, is to be hurtful in return. (laughs) That is, we tend towards the primitive response to returning the hurt in kind. Um, I'm going to skip a paragraph, and I'm going to finish with this. The second thought, therefore, might lead to an accommodation process, which means that in interactions in which there is conflict, a partner does things that maintain and enhance the relationship. Whether a partner decides to accommodate will depend largely on the nature of the relationship. Okay? (laughs) So you might be thinking that this Reflection is going to be about relationships, and it might be, but I am not using this excerpt literally. I'm using it figuratively or symbolically to talk about a a relationship between some of my inner landscape. And so in this reflection, I'm going to talk about conflict. At least that's my starting point. To talk about conflict as it relates to relationship. Now, there are going to be some human relationships that I will talk about. But I'm mainly talking about the inner landscape of the person. And conflict within that inner landscape. I just read from one of my favorite texts. One of my Bibles. One of my sacred texts, rather. Social Psychology by Kenneth Bordens and Erwin Horowitz. The second edition. Just in case you want to go check that out, okay? Let me do some disclaimers and then we'll start talking about relational conflict when it's inside of you. (laughs) All right. 
If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two theories that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator and social scientist of about 30 years. Half of that time has been in leadership. Politically, I lean into tenets of critical race feminism, which means basically I am an intellectual sensitivity to social constructs of power such as race, class, gender, sexuality, to name a few. This podcast is unedited and is unscripted. To know more about it or me, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. So let me do a few disclaimers. Um, not a few disclaimers. Let me do some housekeeping. So I it's so it's a Tuesday morning and I'm recording. And I didn't record this weekend. Um, I've been doing pretty good recording on a Sunday, although that's a challenge for me because I'm not always in an intuitive bubble. And so since I have dropped down to 25 episodes a season, I like that better. I really, really do. But the challenge is that um, I'm now scheduled with it and you can't schedule an intuition, an intuitive bubble. So whereas before when I started off, I was doing a hundred and a season and that was during the pandemic. So that should speak for itself. And then I went to 50, um, in both. And so in seasons, um, one, two, three, and four, I was able to hit the record button when an intuitive bubble hit me, I hit the record button and then we were at it. Uh, but in season, uh, five and six, um, the last year I have said, nope. We're going to take this down to 25 episodes, and then I've scheduled it for the weekends. And it doesn't always work, but I'm trying to hang in there, okay? And so um, my mom was with me um, for a good portion of the weekend, and so I found myself on Sunday. Normally, I have Saturday to process the week and get quiet. And even if I don't have an intuitive bubble, I TE it, right? So I'm not in IT, I TE. Okay, what can we talk about? But there was so much clutter um, that I needed to make sense of. And so I found that I spent the whole Sunday trying to organize my thinking to talk to you all, and it just passed. And then yesterday was another set of events. And then I woke up this morning, like, okay, we'll do it this morning. And it is now 12 o'clock. I have been up all morning trying to think about how I was going to talk to you. And so I really, really, really don't like this strategy. I'm going to be honest with you. It is efficient. This is a good, this is actually a good way to go into this reflection today. It is efficient. It isn't the most authentic. And I'm struggling with the authenticity piece because the authenticity piece is chaotic is disorganized. And so in the spirit of becoming more organized and efficient and targeted, I'm losing the authenticity. And that's one of the conflicts, the one of the relationships that I want to talk about regarding conflict. T-E-F-I. Okay, that's in the Myers-Briggs system. T-E, extroverted thinking. F-I, introverted feeling. That's one way I'm going to talk about the inner relationship conflict. Um, I'm, um, I feel good 
that I am really, really in a, I am in a bubble. I'm not in an intuitive bubble. <laughs> I just got a text from my niece. By the way, I couldn't turn off my phone today because um, uh, there's something happening uh, later today. So I have to have my phone on. So excuse me in advance if um, some noise comes through. But my niece just texted me um, saying, I love you. So I'm like, uh-huh, somebody... I've been thinking about her, and that's been happening to me a lot, actually. In the last four days, I'm thinking about something, and then it manifests. And I'd like to come back and have a spiritual conversation about that. I mean, it's it's been pretty wild. Wild, like the things that have manifested from me thinking about it. Um, just wild. There are about five things that have happened. And like I said, in the last four days, but that's a different reflection. So I've been in a larger space of, um, I told you guys, you know, um, you all know I've been in two storms with my, with my family, with, you know, we're, we've got a, uh, cancer diagnosis and we've been battling that. And, um, yeah, there's been some change there than I think from the last time I've updated you. So I have some updates there. And then, you know, we have the, 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 the dilemma of my current job is being transferred and I don't want to transfer with it. And so there's that. That's a transition. And so is that transition going to be going to, so I'm not going to transfer to, to that part of the organization, but am I going to go find a new organization to work for, or am I going to pull back and create a start my own organization, which is going to take some time to do. So there's a significant transition for that. So those two storms I've been calling that, that's still the case. But you also know, because some of you might be tired of this, and I'm sorry if you're tired, but this is, this is, even though I don't get the, even though I'm not writing an intuitive I don't respond intuitively to this project as I did before. There's still a high degree of authenticity to it. Now, authenticity says we are really using this as a personal journal to process. And I am in a season of my life where I am processing three things at the same time. Leadership, spirituality, and money slash survival, right? I can't tell you how good it it has been for me to linger here because there's been so much that I needed to unpack and confront. And that's why you keep hearing me talk about it. But hopefully as you hear me return to this theme, these, this trifecta, if you will, on repeat, hopefully you see the nuance that's popping off of it. Because I'm not having, using the same words, there might be some repeat. But there is definite nuance, okay? So all of that is what's on me, and I'm dealing with, it's good. It's actually good. Like, there is, you want to talk about authenticity? I feel like I'm I'm moving into my most authentic self. I feel like the universe is opening the door and saying, welcome, my child. I've been waiting for you. I'm serious. The, the universe, it's like there's been a door. I used this metaphor before, but it's like I'm in a house and there's been a door. I knew about the door. 
I might be curious about what's on that other door, on the, on the other side of the door every once in a while. But for the most part, there's so many other things in this house that I'm focused on that I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that door or what's on the other side of it. And that's kind of what it is. Or I'm like, I'll get to that. That room with that door closed, I'll get there, right? And so the universe has cracked the door. And the universe is opening that door. And like beckoning me with the finger, pointing to me like, come on, come on, take a look, walk around, have a seat. Who would you be if you were in that room? Come out of the house, come into this room. And I'm, you guys work with me with this metaphor. I'm going to linger in here. I'm going to linger here a little bit. So I peek my head in the room. I'm looking around. I might step in it. Ooh, it feels good. Oh, but I'm so comfortable with the experiences of the house that I don't stay in that room long. I leave out. Okay? That's what's happening. And I could have not gotten here. I could have not. The door would have not opened. I do not believe that door would have opened had we not had these three things happening. I'm no longer going to call it two storms. I'm going to say there are three things that have been on repeat. The, the family situation with the illness. The, the work situation and now needing to reconsider um, income. And number three, really confronting my relationship with spirit, money, and leadership. And um, I, th- I think we're at the I think we're at the room of authenticity. And the room of authenticity is attractive. It is alluring, but I'm not comfortable there. I'm gonna be honest. I'm getting tingles. I'm getting a tingling excuse me sensation in my emotions right now. I'm not comfortable in that room of authenticity. Although I believe in it. And I talk about it. But I don't know if I can go in that room and just be sitting up in that room all the time like, I'm authentic. (laughs) I'm authentic. Look at me. I'm not sure. I don't think it's enough. Because what's in the outer room, there are other things in the outer room. So let's use cognitive functions. NI is in the outer room. TE is in the outer room. And SE. They're not a room. And I'm having a hard time seeing those other functions in that room. I see authenticity. I see FI. So that's let me let me let me correct that because that's not really true. I do see N I and T E. I don't see S E. But N I is allowing me to imagine S E. But here's what's happening. I think what's happening, why I said I don't see N-I-T-E, is because I'm not, oh my God, this is good. I'm not used to sharing this N-I-T-E stage with F-I. So having F-I on the stage, it's kind of like cramping my style. Like, it's, it just changes it for me. So while it's attractive, it's alluring, it 
my relationship, it changes my relationship with NITE. And I don't know if it's a bad thing. I'm just going to tell you it's, it's foreign. It's unfamiliar. It's not comfortable. So let's ignore the, let's ignore the room, right? Let's close the door. Let's ignore the room. No, we don't have to close the door. Let's crack the door. Let's walk past that. Let's peep our head in every once in a while and be good, be good with it. But, um, I think that there is something in my development that is challenging me to confront that. And here's here, here, let's talk about, let's talk about those other two storms. I am at a place. I'm sorry, you guys, if this is on, like, this is repeat. I could, I know. I hope it's just not redundant. I say there's repet, there's repetition here, but I pray that it's not a high degree of redundancy because there's a reason why I'm lingering here. There's a reason. Oh, God. <laughs> because I talked about this already, I'm going to just bring it up again. When, when people die and they pass, and they're part of your structural reality. That's a different impact than when they pass and they die and they're not. Like we could be sad somebody's gone and they transition over or whatever. We could be sad about it. But when they are a part of our day-to-day reality, there's a structural component. It changes. It changes what it means to live. So they've gone and they left you behind. But what they left you behind with is something different. It's a different world. The world is not the same as it was for me when my grandmother was in it. It's not the same with my dad, my stepfather, my uncle, my uncles rather. It is a different world. So it's had two impacts on me. I've been impacted in a couple of ways. Like I don't really, uh, I don't really care. Like um, oh, what what is the future for? Who cares about the future? Like that was a definite and I hit on me. And I talked to you guys about making my way back. I'm making my way back to giving a hoot, if you will. But now I'm like, we don't have a lot of time to waste. We ain't got a lot of time to waste. We don't have time in this dimension. We don't know about the next dimension. We know about this dimension. And I hold strong views about what to do with the time we have in this dimension. I have to check. That's the authenticity part I will embrace. What you doing with it? Really, what are you doing with it? And I'm saying that's the question that's coming up for me. I'm confronting the fact, the real, the reality is... I am not doing, I am not doing enough with this dimension. Not right now. There I have in the past. But I've allowed those structural shifts to really impact me, right? There are a number of things that have impacted me, and I've been fighting my way back. I've talked about it. I'm not going to bring that up. But I just want to give the relevance to why that room, that FI room, and it's probably not even the FI room, but it feels like it <laughs> because I'm just not used to being 
giving that much attention to the FIA. Why it feels uncomfortable. And but why I'm I'm gonna take the challenge all the same. I'm probably gonna go in there kicking and screaming, but I'm gonna do it. Because I know for a fact I'm not I'm not living up to my full potential. And I know that this thing that I've been this game I've been playing with myself for the last two to two years. Yeah, I always say it's two years. Since this project has been going on, trying to negotiate with myself, like, it's okay. Your structural world is coming together. Look at that credit score. Look at that. Look at this. Look at these. Look at these things. Look at the big bundles of toilet paper. But it's not enough. It isn't enough. But I've been trying to make it enough. I'm not going to lie. I am not going to lie. You All you have to do is go back and listen to these recordings. And then the work challenge hit. And it didn't, the work challenge is like, I'm going to tell you, it's not the shift of the job. Because I'm, I'm over that now. I'm actually glad. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. I was listening to a, 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 um, the, the episode that I recorded called The Burden. I recorded that, I think, November 19th or something like that. No, I think it was the 19th or the 20th. And I, I listened to that this morning. I'm like, dear God, that was November. I was in the job three months. And you could hear it. I actually mentioned I could quit. I talked briefly about quitting. Who does that in the first three months? And I was talking about the job being yummy. I was talking about how great the job was. It was yummy. And I mentioned, if you listen to that episode, I mentioned I could quit. I don't leave, I don't stay there, but I mentioned it briefly. That's something. For me to go back and listen to that in May, I was like, knowing what I know now about that organization and about me, I'm like, ooh, that was something. That's interesting. So, and I think the job has had so much FI flavor to it. So much FI flavor to it. And I've been kind of touching on that too. Like, ooh, that's a lot. Oh my God. And I get it. I get it. It's been a, it's been a FI storm for me with the job. And I'm like, that's probably another reason why I don't want to go in that room. So anyway, I just think that, um, just these things are coming to a head. And I am not going to lie. I'm, I'm nervous. I'm nervous to not take the challenge. Right, I won't be able to not take the challenge. I really won't. I I don't think I'm going to be able to bypass the challenge. I don't think I'm going to be able to bypass that invitation to the room to go into that room. I don't think so. But I'm not going to lie to you. I almost daily try to do mental gymnastics to try to convince myself that um, I can stay in the main house. That I can stay in the house. I don't have to go in that room. Let me, let, I literally try to do mental gymnastics, trying to convince myself. Let's just keep going. Or here's the biggest lie. Let's do one more year. And I'm not going to lie. I'm, that is what I'm, that is what I'm contending with. Here's the butt. <laughs> um, <laughs> if, the, if it's, if I had it my way, I want to be honest. If I had it my way, I would have one more year. Um, 
and I would say this is the last year. This is the last year I would play. I would, I have to play. See, each, each year I said one more year, I wasn't clear. I wasn't sure. And I was like hoping that I would get clarity and I didn't have clarity, but I actually have clarity now. And now I need another year to build the structure, the systems to the clarity. That's what I want. I want another year so I can build the systems to the clarity that I have. But up until the last six weeks, last month, I did not have clarity. And I was asking for another year in hopes to get clarity. And I want to be honest with you. I thought when clarity, I would have the structure. They would come together. So I don't really know what this universe is going to do. But I want to be really honest. I am asking for one more year <laughs> to be in the main room, to be in the house. So I can go in that, that room and start building systems so it isn't, so it feels familiar for me. So that it feels like NITE for me. That's what I'd like. So actually, I'm done with this reflection. I haven't said the things I wanted to say, but I have gotten to what I needed to get to. <laughs> um, so I have gotten to what I needed, but let me still go through the process of the reflection just for you all. Cause you're like, all you've said was, you've just talked about a room. That's all you've done. <laughs> we don't know what the hell you're talking about. All right. All right. So let me try to rewind a little bit. Let me do a little bit of a deductive thinking. Let's go backwards. That's not my jam, but I'm going to try. Okay. So I said I was going to talk about this relationship conflict. And the conflict that I've talked about so far is T-E-F-I, right? And let me read a little bit about, um, that's not the only way I can talk about the internal conflict. Let me, let me get my book. Got a couple. Got about four books in front of me. Oh, five. I've been really struggling with how I'm going to talk to you all in this time of uncertainty. A high level of uncertainty. And I'm using my energy to intuit and figure things out. And so it's been hard. It's been hard. It's been hard coming to you in a space of repetition, right? Like, oh my God, what are you going to hit the button? And you're going to say the same things you said last week. Is that what you're going to do? All right. So, okay. Anyway, so I'm going to, the book I have in my hand would be Gifts Differing Now. And I want to read to you the traits of FI, introverted feelings. Um, there are bullet points here. Value, introverted feeling. Well, I'm associating with this introverted, uh, I'm saying this is introverted feeling, but the, the text is talking about ISFPs and INFPs that lead with introverted feeling. But if we're going to take that, okay. Value above all, harmony in the inner life of feeling. Our best at individual work involving personal values in art, literature, science, psychology, or the perception of needs. Have feelings that are deep but seldom expressed because inner, inner tenderness and passionate conviction are both masked and by reserve and repose. Maintain independence from the judgment of others being bound by inner and moral law. Direct judgment inwardly toward keeping all lesser values subordinate to the greater. Whew. Have a strong sense of duty and faithfulness to obligations, but not desire to impress or influence others. This is so good. 
are idealistic and loyal, capable of great devotion to a loved person, purpose, or cause. May use use thinking judgment occasionally to help in winning a thinker's support of feeling aims, but is never permitted to oppose those aims. And I think there's the conflict. So you see that? Like all of those bullets. How many bullets did I just read to you? I think eight. Yeah, so there were eight bullets. And all of those I could relate to. Now, I may not relate to them all the time, but those are, those, they are related to those. And then you get to that, that eighth bullet. May use thinking judgment occasionally to help in winning a thinker's support of feeling aims, but never permitted to oppose those aims. And that's the conflict. That is the conflict because I don't occasionally use thinking. I always use thinking. And so the, that's what's happening. I feel that going into that room would be like becoming a feeler first and not a thinker. Cause the thinker of me is like, yo, there's so much more that we can do if we stayed out of that room. Like that room would give us authenticity, but it is not going to give us X, Y, and Z. So if it's not going to give us X, Y, and Z and we value X, Y, and Z, we know that being in the outer room, excuse me, being in the house is the fastest and the most effective and efficient way to get those other entities, X, Y, and Z. You go in that room, you're going to get authenticity, but it's going to slow down your access to X, Y, and Z. And that's very hard. So let's talk a little bit about, let me read the bullets for thinking. Okay, the bullets for thinking coming from the ESTJ and ENTJ are analytical and impersonal, maybe executive, legal, technical, or interested in reform, organize the facts and everything else within reach, are decisive, logical, strong in reasoning power. <laughs> oh boy. There was a situation at the restaurant yesterday because of my family. Woo, they wanted to go and they were becoming a subject to someone else's ignorance. And then they, I hate when people who are giving into someone else's ignorance try to convince me to give into that ignorance. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Because what you don't know is I'm very good at reasoning <laughs> and articulating my rationale. And I can use a whole lot of research to do that. Research, vocabulary, theories, systems, and evidence to give you this point. And, uh, and they got a chance to see that side of me because I've been doing, I woke up this morning thinking about how I've been keeping peace with my family, but just becoming like a wallflower, like a wallfly, wallfly, is that a wallflower? But you know, just kind of being an observer using my, my dominant function. We're just going to observe, not going to say much. Um, Yep, to observe and experience NISE and really trying to strip those judgment functions or keep those judgment functions to myself. And yesterday it got pretty beasty a little bit because I was like, no. And then my um, cousin was like, why are you getting loud? Why are you talking? Because you're talking. Because you're not making any sense. And I'm not listening to you. Because <laughs> you're talking at me. You want me to stop talking? You stop talking. So I was very, very firm and assertive with her. In a way I haven't done in a long time. <laughs> it's not funny. It's not funny because I, I, 
I don't like giving that energy out. Like, I don't don't value that energy anymore. So I'm like, we're just going to be calm. But the justice, the injustice that was happening in that restaurant, that was a no, that was a no brainer. And so whereas other people are going to sit around and complain about it, I wasn't going to do that. I was going to confront, you know, so it's so much. It is so much loaded. And I would love to just talk about what happened at that restaurant yesterday. But anyway, so what did that, what did we, well, let's get back to the bullet points here. Decisive, logical, strong in reasoning uh, power. Aim to govern their own conduct and other people's in accordance with thought out conclusions. Have an emotional life that is accidental and have a social life that is incidental. My God. That is true. And that's the conflict. Those last two, those last two bullets. These other bullets, this was really good. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay, eight bullets again. But this one, the first six resonate. And the sec, the last two are conflicting for me. Have an emotional life that is accidental. And that has been my journey. And I've suffered those emotions privately. And you guys have talked about me. I've talked about uh, having a season of deep depression. This is in my 20s. And I lived with it so long, I just thought it was me. I really never thought I would come out of it. And yesterday I was walking, I was like, wow, we just, we don't live like that. We don't experience that, that emotion like that. I, if, I, if you knew how deep it was, if how long it was, I literally thought it was my reality. It's a, it's, it's a testament. It's a testimony that I'm not walking around like that. And that's because I started doing things differently because my emotions were incidental because, and they were private and people didn't know I was suffering like that because on, on the, on the front end, I'm doing everything. I'm, I'm taking care of business, right? I'm teeing it up and I was suffering. So I, I, I've done better. I don't have certain relationships. I've gotten out of certain relationships. I stopped it. Like one of the things that really stressed me out, believe it or not, was weekly church. It was very difficult for me to go to church every Sunday and listening to uh, values that weren't mine, or I they were in, they were contradictory. They were people were just saying the values and then they weren't living them out, right? Um, so I just stopped doing a number of things that caused the turmoil, right? And so I think I'm at another shift like that. So it doesn't look like I'm struggling in those emotions, but I am. So one of the things is I, I don't want to get into this now, but (sighs) it's just not okay. It's just not okay for me to be in this house and it looks like everything is in order. And there is an emotional life that you're going to have one way or the other. It's going to be either intentional or incidental. What did the, what did the other bullet points say? 
Oh, yeah, okay, so have an emotional life that's accidental and have a social life that's incidental. Yeah, because work has always been first. Work and school, really it's been school. My education and my and my work, my projects, those are all, and I don't, they're always going to be first. But they don't have to be first and, and my emotional life and my social life to be accidental. It doesn't have to be that way. And that's the difference. That's why I need to go into that room and build it so that I can still do work in that room. I cannot just go in that room and just be F.I. I can't. So I need time to do that. Um, so that's the conflict, the T.E.F.I. I think I've really worked this out. I just want to give you the other conflict that I wanted to frame the story in. So that's the MBTI. I want to flip over to the Myers-Briggs and, oops, excuse me, the Enneagram. And in the Enneagram, there are nine numbers. I don't talk, we don't talk about this a lot, but uh, there are nine numbers in, in those nine, the, uh, nine personalities. They're uh, grouped according to three emotions. And then within, within each number, we have three instincts that we are all dealing with. Animal or, yeah, really animal instincts that we are all driven by but we have an instinctual stack that's different so those three then we put them in order so my instinctual stack is social self-preservation and then sexual bonding is third um, my heart coach challenged me she said i think you're self-preservation first and social second and i can see why you would say that but i think it's the social me because as an eight see this is what people don't know about the eight Social aids are social, but see, the eight is antisocial. So my heart coach is picking up on the fact that I'm antisocial. All right, that's that's my number. I'm an I'm an antisocial person, but I'm a social antisocial. <laughs> so the surface me can I can engage in a social fairly well. But don't don't get it twisted. Don't push it. Just like at that restaurant yesterday. <laughs> I really want to open that up. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So um, don't push it because underneath the social, it's it's my core is anti. I'm an antisocial eight. I just do social. I'm a social antisocial. I'm going to read with that. I'm going to read the text though, but let me read to you um, the social. This is not a social eight. This is just the, I'm going to read these instincts separately. Um, social inter, social interactions. The social instinct focuses attention on and shapes behavior around issues related to belonging, recognition, and relationships in social groups. Let's stop right there. I've been talking about belonging. God knows I want recognition for what I do. Um, I think the part that's weak for me is relationships. And I think that's the antisocial part of me. I don't prioritize relationships, but I, they mean a lot to me. And so um, I went and did two family events yesterday. And both of us was just like, I don't want to do it. That's like, that's the right thing to do. <laughs> you got to get up and go, right? That's the FI maturing. Get your butt up and go. Two different parts of my family. And, uh, and I was just like, wow, these people are my, these are my people. <laughs> I don't see you often. I'm in my house most of the time in my little world, in my little 
utopia, my my kingdom or queendom being happy. Okay. It divide it drives us to get along with the herd, our family, the community, and the groups we belong to. This instinct also relates to how much power or standing one has relative relative to the other members of the group in terms of whatever that might mean for a person or a specific type. And I talked about that yesterday. Like, you know, I said, Hey, um, because the restaurant was doing something that was racist. And as a person that's trained to see what how, how racism shows up, I, I it was racist, and so I I I wasn't gonna go and tell the manager, hey, you guys, you're being racist. I wasn't gonna do that, but I was gonna get us to. We wanted something, and I was gonna have my way with it. I was gonna I wasn't gonna sit at the table complaining about the thing we we wanted. There was something that we wanted that was reasonable. The reason why we weren't getting it is because the restaurant was racist. And I wasn't going to just sit around and like, well, they're racist. I wasn't going to do that. I went to confront to get it done. All right. I must have made a comment to myself or mumbled it. This, this is happening because we're black. Um, my aunt was like, that's not true. Oh, Lord. That was one thing. And then uh, my cousin starts regulating, starting to say, this is just, these are the rules. And th- Listen, don't try to tell me about the rules of something because that's how it works. See, that's, excuse me, but that's how white supremacy works. It's baked into the rules or the norms of the culture, but really it is, it's uh, the rules, the norms, the culture of a particular group of the racial elite. It doesn't factor in the rules, the norms, the culture of the subgroups, the groups that don't have the power. So what I don't need you to do is to regulate me to tell me how the system works. What did, what did, what did, what did that text say in the relationship? Let me read that to you. Hold on. Researchers have discovered that when satisfied couples confront a threat in the marriage due to something that the partner has done, individuals devise stories that work to diminish the threat. That relationship is between the subgroup and the dominant group. And when that subgroup experiences conflict at the hands of the dominant group, the way it works is that subgroup begins to romanticize or narratize the event to eliminate the threat. But what we're not going to do is eliminate the threat by a story. We're going to eliminate the threat by the system. We're going to create a structure to eliminate the threat. We're not going to create a story to eliminate the threat. Now you can do that. You can tell the story and make something up in your head, make believe, and and to make the threat go away. But it doesn't make the threat go away. The threat is there all the same. We're going to confront the threat as a structure and not as a story. That's number one. And number two, I'm not a layperson. I'm not, I'm not sitting around talking about racism just because it's something that is interesting to me. I've studied it for years, and I'm a practitioner around race. So that's what I'm saying. Like that's in that's that's about. And um, I'm gonna go to this. Let me go to the other book. I was in my social psychology book. Let me go back to the Enneagram book. What does it say about social interaction? The instinct also relates to how much power or standing one has relative to the other members of the group. So that means because I don't have the power standing in the group. I said something and they went to try to erase it and minimize it. 
No. And that's the answer. Oh, God. No. Just no. Which is one of the reasons why I don't spend a lot of time there. Because I'm not going to be minimized just because in that system, I'm not valued. Right? And that's what I told somebody today. I said, if you were, if you were talking to any other family member and they said something out of their occupation or their profession, they would have been, but the systems theory, and I don't have the text, but I've done systems theory episodes around, check out my episodes in December around Christmas time. Cause that's usually when I'm around family and I talk about systems theory. The system theory says there's a whole unit and there's a hierarchy in terms of people. And the system maintains that hierarchy. I've been, I, there was a time I, I had a higher standing in hierarchy. I have to admit. But with the passing of my grandmother, I do not. I do not. And as a matter of fact, there's another reason why I have a lower standing in that hierarchy. There are two reasons. But well, that's not what this episode is about. Anyway, I'm going to get off the subject because I feel like I'm now starting to spiral. I will <laughs> when I start talking about that. Um, but yeah, so that's social. That's the social piece. And then, let me let me read the um, self-preservation one. The self-preservation instinct focuses attention on and shapes behavior around issues related to survival and material security. It generally directs energy towards safety and security concerns. <laughs> including having enough resources, avoiding danger, and maintaining a basic sense of structure and well-being. Beyond these basic concerns, the self-preservation instinct may place emphasis on other areas of security in terms of whatever that means for a person of a specific type. Once you mix in the passion of the type, of the nine types. And I'm laughing because I'm like, listen to these words, material security, safety, uh, having resources, Maintaining a basic sense of structure and well-being. That is me, isn't it? <laughs> and that is the conflict. That's the relationship because I'm social self-preservation. Those two are together. Just like T-E-F-I. I'm as an INTJ, the T-E and the F-I are together. If I were an ENTJ, the T-E and the F-I would be separate by two cognitive functions in the middle. But as an INTJ, those two functions are not just on an axis. They're connected in the middle. And there's the rub. That's the same thing about me being a social self-preservation eight. The social is there. Now, there was a time, and I've said this many times before, I prioritized the social through my work. I suffered it at home. I suffered it. And so as I matured and I learned how to start doing self-preservation on my own, I outsourced. Self-preservation was important to me, but it was outsourced. That's really what was happening. I'm not outsourcing self-preservation anymore. Isn't that interesting? My needs for self-preservation were taken care of because the social was taking, because it was outsourced and I was taking care of the social. But the, the flip side of that, the conflict is that it was I was suffering in that privately. So as I have learned to take care of self-preservation on my own, it is now having conflict with the social. And in that room, going back to my TE, my FI room, in my that FI authenticity room, it's going to require me to do some more social. And I don't want to. 
And I don't have time to get into explaining that. Well, let me try to give you a little bit. That that room is going to really require me to... Um, it's, it's just making me come out of employment. You guys have heard me talk about it. i got to move into entrepreneurship. And I don't really think I am an entrepreneur. I'm an eight. I'm an INTJ eight. I want to do things my way. <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm an entrepreneur. But I'm going to have to be. Now, what's going to allow me to survive as an entrepreneur? I'm going to have to add value to the world so I can generate a revenue. Now i got to care about people. Got to care about people more than I want to. I don't want to do that. I genuinely don't want to do that. So it is the dilemma, but what else are you going to do? It's not that I don't care about people. I don't want to care about people. I don't want to prioritize that. It is overwhelming to think. So now I love the fact, and I think this is what has been made the last few years. Like I can make a certain amount of money. I can. I can say I don't care. Whatever. It's not going to impact my money. It's not going to. What is it? I can turn myself off to the social if I have to. And it's not going to impact. Where is my language? The language here for self-preservation. Survival. Material security. Sense of safety. It's not going to impact that. I move into entrepreneurship. I'm not going to be able to turn that social off. I'm not. And that is not appealing to me. It's doable because I'm social. But I don't want to have to live the self-preservation underneath that. Underneath the social is the self-preservation. Let me let me say it differently. As because I'm an INTJ, eight. I don't want to have. I don't want to have to live in a social like that. So the so so let me read this social piece again for myself. Hold on. All right, I had to go back to the Myers-Briggs book because uh, I thought it was in the Enneagram book, but it's in the Myers-Briggs book that I'm reading. That seventh bullet, are idealistic and loyal, capable of great devotion to a loved person, purpose, or cause. And I think that's what it is. I have a love, I have a social, I'm going to, I'm mixing these systems together, y'all. I have a social orientation to a purpose or a cause, but not to people. The people are inside of it, right? They've been, it's about the people, but it's not about me having a relationship with people because my instinct is sexual. It's third for me. So going back to the Enneagram, let's read the sexual instinct. Um, the sexual instinct focuses attention on and shapes behavior around issues related to the quality and the status of the relationship with specific individuals. Yeah about interpersonal attraction, bonding, sexual connections. This instinct seeks a sense of well-being through one-to-one connections with people in terms of whatever that means for a person of a specific type. I don't, that's not where I want to put my energy. And one thing I love about the, the, when you talk about the social eight, social eights are more intellectual, like it's more concept driven, like seeing patterns uh, in the social world, right? 
That's where I that's where I live as a social aid. I see the patterns in the social world. I understand the layers of the social world. I understand the narratives of the social world. I understand the social world, world in terms of social contracts, right? That's what makes me a social aid. But it's not the instinctual, it's not the sexual one-to-one part in that social world. I'm not trying to do one-to-one. That's not where my happy is. And I think when I think about the entrepreneur, I have, I have to do more one-to-one. And I want to. And I did that. I had to, I did it before when I was an entrepreneur. I did, I did it and I don't want to do it. So, and I'm going to close here. And that's the dilemma. And I'm telling you, when I go back and I listen to every episode where I talk about the dilemma, this is underneath it all. I, I never said this, but I think this is what makes it attractive for me to avoid that room. Because what I'm really a do, I'm really doing is avoiding the one to one. So I think I'm I'm mixing systems, right? I'm talking about the Myers Briggs, and I'm talking about the Enneagram, right? For different reasons, they are both a conflict. The Myers Briggs, I'm dealing with the conflict between the TEFI. Uh, those bullets for the FI, six, seven of the six or seven of those bullets, I resonated with. Fine by me. But if you're expecting me to prioritize those things over efficiency and order and impact and structure and systems, you've lost me. And I have not experienced relationships with people to be orderly, to be efficient, to be structured. I do not experience people like that. I find people to be very chaotic and irrational. I don't like it. So no. So as long as those values, I can hold those values as long as I don't have to drop my value for order and impact, organizing, analysis. Like that's a non-negotiable. See, I'll suffer the feeling part of me before I will suffer the thinking. I don't want to suffer either, but I will. I will suffer the feeling and then that, but as I've listened to myself talking this reflection, I don't even know if I'm going to upload this because I feel like I've been all over the place in this reflection. But, oh my God. I think, but as I listen to, when I think about earlier parts of me that um, did the TE over the FI, I did suffer, but I suffered privately. I, I think this is this is a necessary shift. I think I'm just going to a higher state of integration. I think that's what's happening because I've done this shift before where I've had to align the two, address the conflict between TEFI. So, um, yeah, so that's the one conflict of TEFI and I think it's relating to, um, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to FI over the TE. The TE is over the FI and that's just, it is what it is. The TE is over the FI. Um, whereas an ENFP, my niece and my cousin, the FI is over the TE. And they love when they use that TE. They think they be doing something. <laughs> boy, oh boy. But, uh, but yeah, that FI is over the TE in that system, in that, in that personality type. And then the other conflict is the social self-preservation that... I would love to say I'm self-preservation first. It would make my life easier, but it's not. 
Because at the end of the day, while I want self-preservation and security and all of that, at the end of the day, I definitely see the social world. And I'm prone to it. It is a cause of mine. It is a, it is a purpose. It is a cause. I just don't want to do the one-to-one in that. I did it before. It was quite taxing. So I'm dragging my feet here, y'all. I'm, it's good. Like I started off in the reflection. It's good because I'm at a place where I know that there's a shift that has to happen. I know it because time is limited. I know it. And I think I'm going to be a better person when I can integrate this better. I know I will, but I'm strong. You know, I want, like I said, I want a year to build the system <laughs> so that I can make sure that's what it is. I need, I want, I'm asking the universe to give me another year so that I can make sure I have my systems in place because I don't want to be out there all FI in it. And I don't want to be out there all social and no self-preservation. I don't. Those two worlds seem like they're, they need to be flipped. Interesting. That this, in the Enneagram, it's so, my instinct, well, because it's an eight, because I'm an eight, because I'm like, wow, that social is coming on top of the self-preservation. And then the Myers-Briggs, the TE is coming on top of the F1, FI. But at the end of the day, I'm an eight and I haven't even read about the eight being social self-preservation. But anyway. You guys, I want to close here by reading. I want to go back to this idea about relationships. That accommodation. So what it they said, they, um, the second thoughts, therefore, might lead to an accommodation process, which means that in interactions in which there is a conflict, a partner does things that maintain and enhance the relationship. Whether the partner decides to accommodate will depend largely on the nature of the relationship. I need my FI. And so I've been listening to the IETJ John and I've, I've uploaded three, uh, episodes, YouTube episodes about some content I took in around the ISTJ and INTJ, really looking at the SINI. Um, um, so go check that out. But, uh, there's another video that he did about, um, Tertiary FI and INTJs. And I'm, oh my God. So good. So, so good. I really am, I'm really, really digging this, this young man because he takes the INTJ off the page. He takes us from a two dimension and moves us into the third dimension. You, I had to listen to that content three times. It was like 30 minutes in length. I've listened to it three times and I can listen to it again. Because you don't get, people will say, well, you know, INTJs, we have tertiary FI, but what does that mean? And he really, really, there were like several points. I think I'm going to do a YouTube uh, response for this. I know he's probably getting sick of me doing video responses to him, but he should stop producing content. That's good. Um, yeah, I'm, gonna have to do, um, I'm not going to open this up. But one of the things he talks about is, when the INTJ matures in that third function, tertiary um, feeling, extra, um, tertiary FI, is when we come back to humanity. We become whole. And that is so true. And that, I'm 52, so of course I've been, you know, they say it happens in your 30s and your 40s. I really, really came to terms with my tertiary FI in my 40s. I saw it 
budding in the 30s, but it really came to the table in my um, in my 40s. But I think that there's another level of maturity that is I'm being um, tasked to do. And and I think the challenge is that I'm being asked to integrate FI a little more than I really want to because it's going to require me to do a little more people. And I'm dreading it. But here's the beauty of the challenge of this season I'm in. I can be either proactive with my emotions or I can be reactive. And right now, because I'm not in these, I'm not properly positioned, I'm spending a lot of time recovering emotionally. So I'm not leading with emotions. I'm not making decisions with those feelings. But I'm in an environment, I'm in places where my feeling, my ethics are being challenged like crazy. Might as well do the damn thing. Might as well do it and, and, and go into that room and really see that that room is really not an FI room. It just feels like it because it's requiring more. Or maybe, maybe there's another room. I don't know. I don't know. We're going to stick with this one room. Um, so I, I'm going to come and play with, I'm going to play with this a little bit. This, this room. Why does it feel like it? Cause it feels like an FI room and I don't think it is, but it just feels like it because it's just requiring me to care a little more than I want to care. And I don't want to, I'm going to be really honest. I want to do the work. I want to impact change. I don't want to do one-on-one -on -one people at all. No, I don't. But it looks like I am being tasked. So either I'm going to do it on the front end or I'm doing it on the back end. And that's not cool either. So I feel like there was more I wanted to say, you guys. And I don't know how this came across, but I've been in it. Like I had, I was reading to you all from at least three books and I didn't touch the other two. Uh, two books open. I never took, but I, I was working with the Complete Enneagram by Beatrice Chestnut, Social Psychology by Borden's and Horowitz, and then Gifts Differing by Isabel Briggs Myers and her son. And um, I was in those texts, boy. I don't know. I was reading. <laughs> so anyway, oh my gosh. You guys, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about maturing, really. And conflict brings growth. We don't grow without the conflict. In learning science, in learning theory, it's called cognitive dissonance or the zone of proximal development. You've got to be stretched to grow new brain cells, to grow new pathways in the brain. And um, there's a stretching that's happening for me. And I really don't want to do it. I really don't. But I want to tell you what I want to do even less than that. I cannot have another two years like the last two years. I can't. I just can't. And I don't see an, I don't see an out right now. 
unless I take my butt in that room and integrate FI into my NITE on my stage. Cause I'm not worried about SE. We, we, we could, my t- we, we can make SE happen. I'm just worried about FI. And I can't do it. So if this conversation about growing and conflict and NI really is about TFI, social self-preservation, <laughs> a little bit of family trauma and family drama if any of that relates to a conversation you've had in the world please take this link and share it with those participants and my moving about is caused some randomness and I'd love to hear it you can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com on twitter yournidom1 please go check out some links I've shared um, youtube and facebook yournidom and again I just uploaded three uh uh episodes on YouTube. I think they're pretty good. So check them out. Let me give you your assignment. I started the episode talking about relationship. Like I read that text and was all about conflicts and relationship. And I said, this isn't about romance. This is about an inner relationship. My inner T-E-F-I, my inner instincts around um, social self-preservation. So what is an inner relationship that you have where there's a conflict? Something on the inside of you. They, they, they're both important. Two things are important, and they're in relationship to each other. And when the world is spinning just right, that relationship causes no drama. But then something happens. And and that was what I was going to read to you about. Um, I think there's a... Um, the definition of conflict says a comp- competitive or opposing action of incompatibles. Of incompatibles. Um, yeah, what are what are sometimes what are what is when what are how do I say it when when or what? What is a relationship that can become antagonistic because those they are become antas- uh polarized with each other? I don't know how to say it. You have to know your inner world to be able to do this assignment. You're going to have to know your inner world. And I don't know how you know your inner world if you don't have access to personality theory. So that, that I, I can't help you if you don't, if you've been listening to me and you don't know personality theory. But assuming that you do, whether it's the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram, think about a pairing, a relate, uh, in your inner world that's, there's a relationship. And then think about when there's conflict. One of the things that INTJ John said, he's like, I don't know why there's always the TE and FI, they always follow each other. And I'm, he's like, if you know why, tell me. And I'm like, that's because they're on an axis. So I don't know if he knows that. He's not wondering. He doesn't know why they're on an axis. But then they're on an axis because they're ju- those are your judging functions. That's why they're on the axis. So I was like, I don't think I should be the one to explain that. I'm not the expert. So it felt really weird to hear him ask that question and for me to feel like I have the answer. But anyway, they go together. T-E-F-I or N-I-S-E. I, yeah, I actually think that there could be a conflict between the T and the S-E, but that would be a different conversation. But what is in your inner world that is married together and is 
harmonious on most days, but there's something that will cause them to be in conflict with each other. And how do you reconcile that? Do you do what a romantic relationship will do? Will you create a narrative kind of like what I've been doing? Like I'm going to create this narrative and pretend like I'm really going to grow up trying to advance in the system and I'm going to try to get promoted and I'm going to get these leadership positions in the system. I should have known I was lying to myself. It was a lie. My God. But that's the narrative I was trying to spin. That was how I was trying to resolve the conflict. It didn't work. I still would like to lie. I would still like to believe that it's possible. I don't think it is, though. I'm becoming more and more doubtful that that's possible. Or do you accommodate it? Which is what I want to try to do. I want to try to accommodate the FI. Let's accommodate some of that one-on-one stuff. How do you resolve it? How do you resolve the conflict? You guys, this has been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye.